I would sign up for a one-month subscription to Orange Bloods if that was the case. Welcome back to the Mainline Podcast. I am Adam Jacquez, joined today by Tyler and Corbin. As always, it's probably our biggest pod ever, so we are recording at 11 a.m., which is the tradition. Guys, how are we this morning? <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing good. We're doing good. Uh, things, are, things are busy around here in Norman this time of year, and uh, it sounds like from watching you know, David Payne, Mike Morgan, we've got some pretty severe weather. Uh, coming into the area a little bit later on tonight, so everybody's getting ready for that. But uh, other than that, everything's good. Yeah, guys, play some uh, weather bingo for me tonight, if you don't mind. Uh, maybe drinking game. I missed that out here a little bit. But no, I'm uh, you know waist deep in playoff hockey right now, which uh, I know neither one of you care about, so I'll just stop right there with that conversation. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my, my interest in the NHL playoffs, my Dallas Stars, we're not, we're not a part of it this year, so that's where the fandom dies. Uh, for me and that, but uh, there's really nothing better, honestly, than playoff hockey, especially now that you've got the fans back. But with my stars being out of contention, um, I've been watching the NBA. Trey Young, uh, Russell Westbrook uh, had a little bit of uh, interesting night last night. Uh, but no, it's exciting. A lot of good things happening in the world of sports, and it seems like we're returning back to normal. For sure. And there's a lot of postseason play going on, including the softball team, which is now in Super Regionals against Washington. And it feels like there couldn't be much of a bigger stage and a bigger event for softball that at least we've seen here in Norman. We've got Home Run Village uh, just outside the stadium all weekend. We've got the first ever softball game on ABC on Saturday at 2 p.m. Uh, man, you just got to love how big the sport of softball is getting. It's growing like crazy. Um, and, you know, we spoke, I think, last week, potentially even the week before, of, you know, why would OU and Washington be matched up in a super regional uh, this early in postseason play? Well, can't help but to wonder now, looking at the schedule, realizing it's going to be OU and Washington on ABC for the very first time in NCAA softball history that's going to be on ABC. Now, all of a sudden, it starts to make a little more sense that ESPN, you know, maybe had some behind-the-scenes conversations with the selection committee. Those are two massive softball brands, um, you know, to highlight uh, NCAA softball. But, you know, guys, looking at head on, on the gameplay side of things, starting off tomorrow, 2 o'clock, uh, Friday, 2 o'clock, for whenever you're listening to this, uh, Central Time, Game 1. I don't know about YouTube. I'd be stunned if this doesn't go three games, just to be completely honest. Um, but I think the two biggest matchups for me, defensively, you got to keep the ball in the park, um, even in the regional too many home runs for my liking. Uh, maybe that's just the the spoiled OU fan in me for how good this softball team is, but it just seems like that is the Achilles heel for this team is just giving up the big shots from this pitching staff. And I think offensively, you try to do what you've always done, uh, put up big numbers, put up runs on the board. That's going to be the most difficult challenge for this team that they've seen all year uh, with a Washington pitcher, Gabby Plain, coming into town, 227 innings pitched, a 1.23 ERA uh, Tyler, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, when I when I look at this matchup, the Washington offense doesn't scare me, but Gabby Plain does, and what she's done in the circle, like you said, a career one point two three ERA. She's been dominant in the circle last weekend. Um, her performance, she threw fourteen straight innings, two hundred nine consecutive pitches in Washington's doubleheader win over Michigan, ultimately to send them to the Super Regional this weekend. So um, we talk about you know. Uh, OU Jocelyn Allo has been a, has been named a finalist for National Player of the Year. There's three girls that were you know recognized for that honor, and the other one is Gabby Plain. She's the best pitcher in college softball. OU's got their work cut out for him, and I guess you know something's got to give. You've got the best pitcher in college softball going against the best lineup in college softball, and Patty Gasso's crew, JT Gasso, the hitting coach, they've been absolutely fantastic, averaging 11.5 runs a game this year. That's four more than the next highest team in college softball. I mean, they're number one in most statistical categories on, you know, when it comes to stepping into the batter's box. So, no, that's that's going to be something um, that ultimately I think is going to decide the overall outcome of the series. Maybe not just who wins, but does this go two or three games? Uh, OU softball fans coming out, hopefully we're not having to tune in on Sunday, um, and it'll be a clean sweep. But, uh, no, Adam, you hit the nail on the head. Having Home Run Village, we all saw last week what it was like, the excitement level, having a full capacity out at Marina Hines, you know, the impact that that can have. And you just got to be super happy for Patty and the girls. I mean, Home Run Village, sold-out crowd, the first ever uh, televised college softball game being on ABC. 
uh, it's a good time right now to be an OU softball fan and can't wait to, to watch your girls get underway tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Absolutely, and a very different matchup than what we just had against Wichita State in the regionals. This is going to be strength on strength, Washington's pitching against OU's hitting. And so I think it's absolutely critical to, to win game one and take some of the pressure off of our backs uh, in that particular series because it's going to be, no pun intended, a dogfight <laughs> against the Huskies. So uh, that that's going to be a, a, a great matchup and a lot of fun this weekend. Hopefully the Sooners can pull it off and get us back to Marita Hines North up in Oklahoma City for the College World Series of softball. So uh, going across the street, as we like to say, uh, yeah. which uh, is baseball. Give the people the, what they want, Adam. The, the people what they really want is the season is – Officially, I'm calling it. It's over. The uh, the pulse has stopped. This team is dead. Um, the uh, the Sooners had a, a pretty decent matchup and a draw in the Big 12 tournament, playing Oklahoma State Wednesday night. The game before that was the number one seed, Texas, taking a loss in their very first game. So the winner of the Bedlam matchup Wednesday night had a huge opportunity to win and maybe advance even further uh, You know, with a, with a weaker opponent in round two. And OU basically goes out and lays an egg and has to turn around uh, from a game that started around 9 p.m. last night and play at 12.30 p.m. the very next day, which was today. And OU basically just walked so many guys, gave up a whole lot of unearned runs, and uh, the season's over. Um, And I know there was a lot of talk maybe this week that OU was on the bubble, but come on, this team was patched together and honestly didn't look like they wanted to be around much. Yeah, I mean, I, I truly have nothing else to add. I mean, sh- shout out to you for covering it all year. I know that this is a huge load off your plate, uh, no longer having to provide an update. And, but, um, you know, 2020 was was tough losing that season. We'll see what Skip Johnson's crew, if they can bounce back going into next year. So that'll be a big one for Oklahoma. Absolutely. We I'm ready keep, to move on. We should keep the updates going because I think from here on out, they probably just get better. Um, so, you know, we might as well just loop them in so you can just say nothing bad happened this week with OU baseball. Yeah, the, ex- the excitement level couldn't get any lower. <laughs> yeah. we, we will discuss off the air. <laughs> but uh, that brings us into the meat of the podcast, the main event, so to speak. And uh, that is just going through, and we're going to take a look at each team in the Big 12 uh, rank, you know, where we see their non-conference schedule on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not very tough, 10 being you know, uh, red October, you know, number one after number one after number one and give just a rating to each team in their schedule. Uh, and then also we do have just out from Vegas, the over unders on their win totals for the year. So we'll give an over and an under prediction on each team. So we'll run through these alphabetically. We'll start with Baylor. Uh, they are at Texas state to open. Uh, and then they play home games against Texas Southern and then BYU in the middle of October. Their over-under is five and a half. Corbin, what do you see for Baylor? Uh, before I looked at the schedule, I thought this was an easy over. I thought Baylor was going to be uh, an improved team. But, guys, looking at it, yeah, you got Texas State and Texas Southern. You would think both those are two easy wins. Then you go at Kansas, so there's three. But then you got Iowa State at home, at Oklahoma State, West Virginia. I mean, I just – I don't see – the sixth win in there. Um, so I'm going to take the under on uh, five and a half games. Yeah, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you on that. I mean, looking up and down the schedule, starting with the non-conference slate, I mean, Texas State, Texas Southern, neither one of those two games scare me if I'm a Baylor Bear fan. Go out there, take care of business. I think one of the things that um, that Dave Aranda is going to be, you know, excited about with them breaking in a new quarterback, you know, to, to lead the offense this year is the fact that you are going to have not just Texas State and Texas Southern to lead things off, but your home opener, or I mean, your conference opener is against Kansas. So it really doesn't get any easier in terms of an opening stretch for them. Having BYU in the middle of October as a non-conference game is is kind of interesting. Obviously, there's some storylines going on there with now part of Baylor's coaching staff just came over from BYU. That'll be fun to watch, fun to monitor. Um, and with BYU, I don't really know what to expect. I'm going to go ahead and give BYU um, the loss in, in this particular scenario because I think, uh, especially at the quarterback position, Baylor will be ready to go by that point of the season, and we all know we expect the defense to be pretty good. So I, I'm going to take the under on that. Um, five, five and seven is where I've got Baylor. And as far as the non-conference goes, I mean, it's it, 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 with BYU losing Zach Wilson, being able to host them in Waco, I mean, this is kind of a piece of cake, so we'll do this on the Portnoy scale. I'll give this 
three point eight uh, on the one to ten difficulty scale. Ooh, I went a lot higher than that. Uh, I got it at a six point eight. Uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm saying one is a cupcake, ten is extremely hard. Yeah, I think the, I think the BYU uh, matchup is is pretty good. Now, granted, I'm I'm comparing this scale is comparing the Big Twelve teams only. So um, take that into it. But I got it at a 6.8. I think the BYU matchup's a pretty juicy one. Yeah, I kind of look at Baylor, and I, I think they should be improved. They had a quite a rough year last year with several games canceled. I do – I really want to believe that Charlie Brewer leaving opens the door for someone that has a much higher ceiling. And you'd like to think this team can take a step in year two under Dave Aranda – it's really hard for me, but I am going to take the over. I think they can go undefeated in the non-conference play. Uh, BYU without Zach Wilson last year, I think their record was very inflated, playing a lot of really bad teams uh, there in Provo. So I think that Baylor can go undefeated against this non-conference schedule. I'll give it a four on the tough schedule, and I'm going to take the over on, on that one, uh, which takes us into Iowa State. Tyler, they have a nine and a half over under. Their non-conference opponents are Northern Iowa, Iowa at home, and then at UNLV in the new Las, uh, or I guess I almost called new, I guess it is new, yeah, the Las Vegas Raiders Stadium. You really can't give, you know, looking back at last year, their performance kind of laying laying an egg week one against Louisiana. You can't really give uh, like an automatic win to Iowa State after, after last season, but Northern Iowa... Uh, I mean, honestly, guys, I think looking at the overall record of this team, I think we're going to know pretty pretty quickly uh, that September 11th matchup against Iowa, you know, if this is going to be an 8-9-10 win team. But for me, I'm going I'm going over on this. I think that looking at their schedule, it's a 10-2 football football team. Um, their toughest game of the year at, or at Oklahoma uh, towards the end of uh, October, first part of November. Um, and then you look at the rest of it, guys. The, the next three best teams in the conference, they get all three of those opponents in Ames. Texas, Oklahoma State, and the fact that they are going to get TCU to close out the year. So um, I think that they drop a game against Oklahoma. I think that they also probably slip up somewhere that they shouldn't. Maybe it's down in Austin against Texas. We'll see if Sarkeesian's got them ready to go. Uh, but they're too talented of a football team, too much of a veteran group. So I'm going to take the over on this, but I, I don't feel too good about it. But I'm going over in this scenario. Yeah, I'm going over as well. Uh, I feel a little bit more confident. I think you do, Tyler. Um, if this team is is who we think they are, then the over should be pretty easy money, in my opinion. I I think the non conference slate is 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 decent. Um, obviously, the Iowa matchup being back is great. Um, don't forget, Northern Iowa lost to Iowa State last time they played a couple of years ago in triple overtime. So don't just write that one off. Um, and I think going at UNLV, like. Who knows? I don't think UNLV is an overly talented football program, but you're going on the road in non-conference against a lesser team. Anything can happen in something like that. But again, going back to your original point, if this team is who we really think they are, if they're returning all of this talent from last year, then we should have no problem getting through that non-conference schedule. And they should probably beat Iowa by at least two scores, in my opinion. Uh, so I've got their kind of their total at um, you know schedule strength, probably about like a 7.9. I think it's a, it's not too bad of a non-conference schedule there. Yeah, I, I had it at a 6.7. I mean, I was going to be tough. <laughs> just just looking at it, I didn't even realize that they played at UNLV. The culture shock for that fan base going from Ames, Iowa to Las Vegas. Uh, it, there's going to be a lot of bright eyes. Uh, but no, I, I like Iowa State this year, so give me the over. I've got them going 10-2. That'll be a home game for Iowa State. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there in that same neighborhood. I've got this non-conference schedule ranked at a 7 Based on the Iowa game alone, I don't think Northern Iowa or UNLV are in the same class as Iowa State. Even despite recent history, I think Iowa State's really improved their roster to a point where they shouldn't have to worry about those games too much. Um, but as far as the over-under, nine and a half's too high for me. Uh, I think they lose at OU. I am pretty high on Iowa. I don't know if they'll necessarily beat Iowa State, but I'm just not buying into the fact that we're going to get a rematch of the Big 12 championship game. We have not gotten a rematch so far since that game has uh, started back up in 2017. So I'm I'm buying the field as far as someone else matching up against OU at the end of the year. And if that's the case, then I got to take the under on Iowa State. Who, who else do they lose to? I think they lose to OU, Iowa, and I think they drop a random somewhere. Um, not sure, but someone. I mean, Iowa's going to be a top 15 program, but you get them in home and, I mean, 
there really is no excuse for them to drop that game this year. And this Agreed. is including bowl I mean, games, it's right? very possible. This is including bowl games, right? Uh, no, it's just regular season. Just regular season? Regular season. So you're saying they lose three in the regular season. I don't, I don't see that one. I don't. You could be right. They could not be as good as we think they are. But, man, I just don't know with that amount of talent coming back, I don't know how they lose three. And the fact that they get all three of those non-OU top Big 12 programs in Ames this year, I mean, that's that's kind of what puts me over the top in my confidence level with them. I mean, I think you could make an argument. Adam, you're rolling your eyes at me. Um, Texas might be one that, that you could maybe give the nod to. They're going to have superior athletes uh, for, from top to bottom on that team. We'll see if Sarkeesian can get the offense going by that point in the season. But, I mean, I, I, I feel pretty confident that they're, that they're you know, at least a 10-win team, which probably means they're going to go 7-5. and five. Well, I am recording all of our answers so we can revisit these at the end of the season. Uh, but I think that will lead us into Kansas here, which honestly I think has the most difficult over-under of any team. Their over-under is at a whopping one win, and their non-conference schedule is uh, at home against South Dakota Open the Year, at Coastal Carolina, and then at Duke a few weeks later. Tyler, how do you see this playing out? This is a push for me. Um, if they you, you got to pick an over or an under. I'll t- I'll take I'll take the under then. But I will say this: if they don't beat South Dakota to start the game, Coastal Carolina is going to kick their ass, and Duke's going to beat them. They're not winning a Big Twelve game. So if they don't knock off South Dakota, I think you're looking at a zero in the win column for the Jayhawks this year. Yeah, we're going to figure out the over under within the first two weeks of the season. Uh, I mean, it's really that simple in my opinion. I don't see them touching any Big 12 team, and I think Duke's going to beat them. I don't know what Coastal's returning. No clue. Uh, so I don't know if they're still talented or not. Um, are they, Adam? Yeah, they're going to have a, a pretty solid team. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's I would probably lean more towards uh, Tyler. But I, I took the over. Uh, just, I mean, losing every game is hard. Maybe even harder than winning like three games in a season. So I'm going to take the over, but don't, but don't ask me why. And as far as the uh, schedule, uh, the non-conference, I gave it like a 2.3. I mean, there's just nothing there. Coastal will be fine, and but there's just it just kind of is what it is. Yeah, Coastal is going to have a uh, probably top one or two um, round draft pick at quarterback, so they're going to be really good again this year. I would like to remind all of our listeners that Coastal Carolina went undefeated until their bowl game when they lost to Liberty. Uh, so they're not quite the best group of five team out there. But but I do think that Kansas can find a way to get to two wins. South Dakota is not that great of a program. We saw them in 2019 in Norman. Uh, they're pretty rough. So I'm buying into Lance Leipold, the new coach. I think he's probably the best hire that Kansas has made since Mark Mangino, that's, that's pretty easy. That's a pretty low bar, I guess. But I'm buying into the fact that he's going to get his guys to play a little bit harder. And I think they find a way to either win at Coastal or at Duke. There was a little bit of a rivalry kind of ruined there between Coastal and Kansas, which is kind of embarrassing in a way. But I think they find a way to split one of those or maybe some miraculously you know, beat Texas Tech somehow. Kansas, with them waiting so long to hire a new head coach, they canceled spring football. So an entirely new staff only having five to six weeks of fall camp to, to put that new system in. Um, honestly, not looking too well. And Adam, I'll, I'll go ahead and make a wager with you right now. Uh, I think Coastal beats Kansas by 30 on September wow. 10th. Listen, for the past decade, Kansas has been terrible with spring ball. So maybe this is exactly <laughs> what they need to move the needle and let's not write off the fact that they head down to Austin. We know that game has been weird for the past few years. So just throwing that out there, maybe the Jayhawks beat the Longhorns again. I mean, it would, would it get any better in all honesty? <laughs> I mean, give me a, uh, I would sign up for a one month subscription to orange bloods. If that was the case. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Well, a team that historically Texas has struggled with, but recently has done pretty well with actually is Kansas state. They're next on our list. They have uh, Stanford uh, to open the season at AT&T stadium. We just found out that's going to be the premier game. 11 a.m. Kickoff on FS one. I'm being sarcastic if you can't tell, uh, but they're playing Stanford in Dallas then on September 11th, Southern Illinois at home, and then Nevada at home to wrap things up. 
Corbin, how tough is this non-conference schedule? I like this non-conference schedule a lot. Um, I think Stanford, I mean, it's probably fair to say that may be like the most boring power five game of the entire season, because both those teams are just going to try to run the ball and out physical each other the entire game. Uh, we'll see if either one of those teams gets past 20 points. Uh, Southern Illinois, whatever, that's just, you know, the, the week non-conference game. And I like the fact that they brought Nevada into town. I don't think that's a pushover game either. Um, so I, I like the, the non-conference. I got that at a 7.1 on the difficulty scale. And then as far as the over-under 5.5, I've got the under. Um, I never know what to expect from K-State. They're going to come up and bite somebody that may push them over that 5.5 mark, get to that sixth game. But if we're just looking on paper, guys, I don't see six wins. Um, I, it's just not there for me. I'm going the other way on this one. Okay. Um, not, not by a lot. I've got them winning six games, so just barely getting the over on this one. What's the sweet um, for you? I, I've got them. I mean, again, it's it's May, um, but I've got them going undefeated in the non-conference. I think they beat Stanford. I mean, David Shaw versus Chris Kleiman. Um, really, really good under-the-radar under the coaching matchup, but I've got them going 3-0. Um, lost to OSU, lost to OU. They're not going to win against Iowa State. I think they beat Tech in Lubbock, um, so that puts them what, what puts them at four and three. TCU's a toss up. I'll, I'll put that at four and four. They're going to beat Kansas five and four, and then you're telling me that between West Virginia, Baylor, and, Can and Texas, I just need one more to get them over the hurdle. So I'm not super confident in it, but I think this is a six win football team um, led by you know Skylar Thompson. I look at it the same way. I, I think this non conference slate is very winnable. I would probably rate it a five just based on the fact that I think Stanford is fairly equally matched, but I think K-State will come into this game with a little bit more ex experience, which really matters a lot in your opener. A adding to the fact that this is really going to be a home crowd for Kansas State with as many alumni as they have in the Dallas area and as short of a drive as it is. So I think K-State can go undefeated against this non-conference slate, but still get some respect out of a win over a Stanford or even maybe a win over Nevada. And so at that point, win Texas Tech, win against Kansas, and you're really just looking for a win against the middle tier, which I think K-State is part of in the Big 12. Can they beat Baylor? Can they beat Oklahoma State? Can they beat West Virginia, TCU? Just give me one of those, and they're already over. It, it kind of – go ahead, Corbin. I think they drop one of Stanford or Nevada. I don't see them winning both of them. I kind of get the feeling just looking at – the overall teams of this year, I feel like the Big 12 is going to be split up into three tiers. You're going to have OU and Iowa State in a tier of their own. You can put Texas and Oklahoma State in one. And then, honestly, in tier three, other than Kansas, the other five or the other four to five teams, I think that this is just going to be um, a year where everybody's just going to beat up on each other. It's going to be super hard to predict. Um, injuries are going to play a factor in it. But um, once you get past those top three to four teams, I think that the talent level – uh, is going to be extremely close. And Chris Kleiman, I think, is probably a top four or five coach in this conference. So that's kind of what gives me the confidence them being able to pull out maybe a game or two that they wouldn't ex expect to be or necessarily are going to be favored in. So um, I, I got the over in this one. Well, having a top coach like Kleiman and having probably, what, the number three quarterback in the Big 12 and Skylar Thompson. Every Tyler. damn time. <laughs> Every mean, that's, time. That's a recipe for success. So uh, well, before we move on to the next team, I do want to mention it took 12 seconds for me to test this out. 12 seconds is all it took to open the Apple podcast app, to find the mainline pod, and to give it a five-star review. 12 seconds, literally less time than it's taking me to say that to you. So if you're listening, go ahead and do that for us. And with that, we'll jump into our team, the Oklahoma Sooners. They have an over-under win total of 11. Probably the highest number they've had in quite a while. And we're all familiar with the non-conference slate. Let's just address the strength of the teams before we get into the kickoff times, which is the hot-button issue. We're at Tulane to open, Western Carolina at home, and Nebraska at home. Corbin, go ahead, man. I mean, the non-conference should be fine. Uh, this may be one of the weaker non-conferences that anybody in the entire conference has. Um, I'm taking the over. I don't see OU losing two games. So I think worst case scenario, it's a push. Um, to me, the Texas and the Iowa State games are going to be the swingers, um, you know, for that over-under. Uh, so I've, I'm taking the over. 
I think I'm confident in it. I'll talk myself out of it at some point. And then as far as the strength of the non-conference, I've got like at a 4.6. Um, outside the Nebraska game, for just the, the logo's sake, this is a terrible non-conference schedule. It's a terrible non-conference schedule, and that's kind of the risk that you take when the fact that these athletic directors are scheduling their non-conference opponents 10, 15, 20 years in advance. So you don't really know what the state of these teams are going to be once that year finally rolls around. But no, I, I think that this is a cupcake schedule. I mean, at Tulane, um, excited. We actually, before hopping on here, I just booked my booked my plane ticket down to Tulane, so that's going to be a fun weekend in New Orleans. Um, Tulane's going to be a win. I actually think that Tulane might be the toughest game of those three, um, especially given the fact that that will be week one. I, Tulane's got some good players, um, and you're not going to have any film on them uh, going into this season. But Western Carolina, that's the pay- – Sorry, dogs must be an Amazon truck. Lincoln making an appearance. Uh, Western Carolina, I mean, that's the pay-per-view game for a reason. That's going to be a slaughter fest. Nebraska, um, we'll touch on that here in a second with the the kickoff time being announced. But that game game doesn't scare me. I mean, they've got good athletes, but OU's going to beat them by as many points as they want to. Um, I'm going over. I don't feel I, – I feel super – I feel confident because – I like the outlook of this team, but I also know that OU hasn't done an undefeated regular season in probably what fifteen to twenty years. They always there's always that one slip up game, um, but no, I, I think that if this team plays their best, I think they're ten points better than everybody on their schedule at least. Um, so if if they play to their potential, and um, I, I like OU in this one, so give me the over. I'm going over as well. I think. If I went under, that would show such a lack of confidence for what we've been hyping up as our biggest year and probably since, you know, 08. And so maybe I'm a little optimist, um, but we need to be over the slip-up games. They they need to not happen anymore. Um, I know it's college football and, it, you know, weird things happen, but if this team wants to achieve the goals that, you know, they've set for themselves and that we've set for them as fans – uh, they're going to have to go over. They're going to have to be undefeated. There's really no reason not to with this uh, schedule. And so um, I look at this non-conference schedule, and I think it's interesting from a fan perspective going to New Orleans. That's that's interesting. Nebraska, you know, is a name. That's that's interesting. But from a competitive standpoint, this is a three for me. This is basically something that the Sooners should just walk through uh, all these games. Even Western Carolina, I know it's it's a nobody name team. But it's the first home opener. Like it's our chance to get back in the palace full capacity, like we like we missed out on last year. So I think that's pretty important. So what's the you- uh, what what's the slip up game that you guys have your eye on? For me, it's Baylor the week before Iowa State on the road in Waco. I think Baylor. Yeah, I I don't want to discount West Virginia. I just don't know. I don't, there's so much <laughs> mystery there for me with with West Virginia. But then I look at Baylor, and you're coming off a bye week beforehand, so they should be ready to go. Yeah. Look out for TCU. It's at home, but look out for TCU. Big Chandler Morris guy. I mean, that game's been close the past few years. Uh, Not Last year was kind of an exception, but they've they've hung in there uh, in the Lincoln-Riley era. So we'll see. We do have to address the kickoff times, which, which were announced today. Uh, we got the first announcement that said Tulane was going to be an 11 a.m. kickoff on ABC and Nebraska was TBD. And then immediately that changed, you know, within about 20 minutes to, oh, Nebraska is also at 11 a.m. on Fox. I mean, this has got to be frustrating. I know it is for OU fans, but I mean, what what can we even do about it? Nothing. There's nothing you can do about it. Join a different conference. Um, negotiate better um, at, at the table when it comes time for the TV contracts to be uh, to, to be redone, which I think that's that's in what 2025. Uh, but no, I mean this is, I, it, it, it's bullshit. The fact that you've got you know one of the top three to four programs in the country, and you know you guys hit the nail on the head. We were talking about it before we even clicked the record button. But I mean Eddie Radosevich of you know Sooner Scoop since 2011, OU has played 42 games in the 11 a.m. time slot. Um, and that number is a stunning 23 times over the past five years alone. So it's ridiculous. The the conference changing isn't going to matter. It's Fox. Fox has figured out that 11 a.m. Central Time is their money hour. If it's not Oklahoma, you're seeing Ohio State in that slot. 
So it doesn't matter the conference affiliation. Fox has figured out they can't go head to head with ESPN and ABC for the um, you know evening primetime kickoff, and they can't go ahead uh, go head to head versus CBS and SEC at the two thirty slot. So Fox has figured out eleven a.m. And let's be honest, guys. If it's working for the TV, regardless of how much pushback the Big 12 gives or how much pushback uh, Oklahoma gives Fox, Fox ain't changing. Um, that's just how it's going to be. So it sucks. I mean, we can already guarantee that at least four of the first six OU games are probably going to be at 11 a.m. Not fun. Um, well, that's not true because they're going to put Western Carolina at night. So at least three of the first six are all going to be at 11 a.m., including Texas. Uh, so that's just kind of part of it. Yeah, and let's be honest. I mean, the – no one's going to go up against the 2.30 time slot. The SEC owns that. They put their biggest game of the week at that time slot. So neither ABC or Fox or, or any other conference are ever going to get a big game at 2.30. It's just not going to happen. So that leaves your 7 p.m. ABC game, and that's generally going to be your game day game. Well, how many times has college game day done an OU game in the last 10 years? It's yeah. pretty rare, and it's, it's not very often that it's happening in Norman. Yeah, but I, I mean, I know that you're going to be competing with the ABC game, but I mean, it, it's Oklahoma. There's also a 7 o'clock game on ESPN that is shown. So, I mean, I, I think that if you polled college football fans as a whole across the country, I mean, I would say that probably a pretty hefty majority of them would rather watch OU Nebraska at 7 o'clock instead of, you know, Arkansas versus Auburn, Auburn at 7 o'clock on ESPN. So, I think that I, I know that there's, you know, it, there's a reason why it's the second rated, second highest rated TV slot uh, in terms of viewership when it comes to watching these college football games. I know that that is, um, you know, that that is the case for a reason, and that's why you see every other weekend, nine times out of ten, it's either Oklahoma or it's Ohio State. But there's got to be something moving forward when it comes time for us, you know, whether it's joining another conference, bringing other teams in, going, you know, restructuring these contract deals. Like I said, there's there's absolutely no reason why programs like Oklahoma and Ohio State, two blue bloods, two cash cows of their own conference, should should be playing you know such a high percentage of their games at 11 a.m. That's that's a killer for so many reasons that we're, that we'll dive into here in just a second. Well, if ESPN had the first pick for this week, they would have picked OU Nebraska, and it probably would have been a night game. But that's the way things go; they alternate between two picks. So sometimes you don't always get the the network you want there. Um, I do want to run this this question by you guys here. I did a little research. Uh, so since 2000, there have been 121 night kickoffs at OU for an average of 5.7 per season. But since Lincoln Riley has become the head coach, so 2017 forward, there have been 11 night kickoffs for an average of 2.7 per year. In that same time span, so since 2017, how many night games has Ohio State played uh, just at home. So I'm just going off of home. So 11 at home for OU since 2017. How many has Ohio State played at home since 2017? Throw out your guesses. Well, there's at, Eight. Least, there's at least one. Eight. Because um, that was a night game when we went up there. You're taking A, Tyler? I'm going to take A because I think there's a reason Adam's asking this. I think it's backwards. I'm going to go I'm gonna go lower than 11. Yeah, it's, it's lower, just how low. Because uh, Michigan's typically at the 11 a.m. Penn to... State, Penn State's typically a night game, but that's only if it's in Happy Valley. I'm going to say four. Corbin, you're really close. It is three, mm. which I think maybe the the way the question was asked, you guys kind of thought, oh, maybe it's less than what I initially expected. But it just goes to show that, like <clears throat> Ohio State, we think of them as the better program. We think they get whatever they want. They're in the better conference. Not necessarily so. They're playing a lot of noon kickoff games, which I mean, those aren't better than 11 a.m. But I think their fans actually tend to tend to prefer the the earlier kickoffs for some reason. Uh, well, but I, I think it's just good to show, hey, here's the variance. It's not necessarily better in the Big Ten. It's not necessarily better to be Ohio State or some of these bigger programs. Yeah. Well, we talked about this, you know, off you know off camera. I mean. I might be in the minority on this, but when looking at the pros cons of 11 a.m. kickoffs with Oklahoma football, the one pro that I could come up with it is the fact that it's good for me. Tyler's a fan. I like 11 a.m. kickoffs. I know I'm probably weird, but I hate, I don't hate night games, but I hate having to wait all day to watch my team play. So the fact that I can wake up, go to the stadium, watch my team play, and I can still be back home in time to watch the second half of the 2.30 SEC game and then the, the primetime 
games that are going to be coming later on that night. I like the 11 game kickoffs, but the the cons far outweigh the pros in this. I mean, you're you're, you're talking about all the different things that an 11 a.m. kick is bad for. I mean, just look at the fan base as a whole. Your tailgating scene is shot. Not too many people are going to get there at 6, 7 a.m. to set up. Yes, you've got your diehards. They're going to do it, you know, game in and game out regardless. But the tailgating is a joke. And the fact that you're essentially asking a huge part of your fan base that is coming from outside of Oklahoma, particularly the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you've got to get up at such an early time, wake up, get in your car, go to the game, and then essentially the day's over with. You turn around and you drive home. Um, so it, it's really bad for the fan base. And again, I've got three more other things that I think that it's you know detrimental to, but I mean, just it's bad for the fan base as a whole. Guys, tell me if I'm wrong, but two thirty is the worst time slot, in my opinion. Correct? Are we all on the same page there? Because it, it kills your morning and your evening. It, yeah, it kills your whole day. It's good from a viewing standpoint, unless you're in the state of Texas or Oklahoma, for, especially for those early kickoffs where it's 95 degrees um, outside, but. I mean, two is tough, but I mean, eleven's a killer, man. I, I'm with you, Tyler. I love the 11 a.m. games because I like getting it out of the way. I don't like you know waiting around. I'm an early riser. I love it, but there's a lot of other fans where it's a lot tougher. They're coming out from further out. It's tough for recruits. Um, so I, I, I'm right there with you. I did do some other research just on some other top teams and what they have from a night kickoff perspective since 2017. Uh, again, remember, OU's had 11 night kickoffs since Lincoln Riley took over. In that same time span, Clemson had nine, Bama had nine, Texas had 11. So I, it's not like we're getting the shaft here. It's not that other teams are getting some significantly higher uh, number of night kickoffs. Um, I think maybe you could say 11 a.m. versus 2.30. That's just home? Just at home, yeah. Interesting. I thought I thought Clemson would have had a lot more. Yeah, it, it is a little bit eye-opening. Uh, it's not exactly what we would expect. Um, and I I don't know if it's just OU fans. Like, There's like this complaining culture of, oh, anytime there's 11 a.m., we just complain. And half the time, it doesn't even bother us that much. We just do it because it's popular and everyone else is doing it, maybe. so. We saw the reaction, the statement that Joe C. put out, you know, earlier this afternoon, you know, voicing his displeasure that the fact that you've got such one of the most historic rivalries in college football, you know, Nebraska, on the anniversary, on the anniversary, the 50th anniversary of that tremendous game that was played back, you know, again, 50 years ago. What, what do you guys think? Uh, how do you think Lincoln took that news? Crush's recruiting weekend. That was going to be a big one. Um, so I don't think, you know, the. I think what you heard from Joe was probably a straight mirror of how Lincoln was feeling, if I had to guess. Um, but guys, if you want the 11 a.m. issue fixed, then fix OU Texas, because that would be a night game probably year in and year out. So if you really are that upset about it and you have the keys to what time, truly, you have the keys to what time OU Texas is going to be, make change. Your only change for your only opportunities for that is either turning it into a home and home or pushing it over to Jerry's world. I mean, me why, personally, why couldn't it be at night? Because it is in one of the worst parts of Dallas. I think that it's a huge safety issue. I think that that's kind of the overwhelming answer that the, that the fan base is going to give. I mean, it's it's in a bad part of Dallas. You know, you could beef up security, but the fact that you're especially with where the parking is. At that, you're going to be walking through these bad parts of town, these bad neighborhoods at night. I think that it's a it's a huge security threat. I would love it. Give me a you know, give me all day to be at the fair, then walk in there at six forty five to to catch OU Texas under the lights. I mean, I'm all for it, but I don't think that that's going to happen, and I don't want to see it go to AT and T Stadium. Um, maybe home and home's the way to go, or maybe do a, a one in Norman, one in Austin, a neutral site for the third. Just make it a rotation. Well, well, we'll bring things back on track here because I think we could spend. Uh, well, let, let, let me let me ask you guys this because I, I just jotted down a couple other things. I mean, like you said, Corbin, it's bad for recruiting. Doesn't necessarily impact the recruits that are in Oklahoma or the state of Texas within three to four hours driving distance. But when you look at a guy like Relique Brown or somebody that's out on the east or you know east and west coast that are playing football games late into Friday night, they don't want to get on a plane at five a.m. on Saturday fly to Oklahoma City and then just go straight to the game. I mean, there's got to be that, – that, that's not good for recruiting. That's probably why Lincoln's so pissed. And then you look at it, the impact that it has on Campus Corner. I mean, they get six to seven Saturdays a year where the local economy banks on the fact that you're going to have ninety to 100,000 people in that area having an 11 a.m. kickoff 
That reduces the amount of beers that you sell, the amount of food that you sell um, all throughout those different restaurants and venues. And then, guys, we know this better than anybody in our time with OU Athletics. I think 11 a.m. kickoffs are bad for season ticket holders. I think it's bad for, uh, on the OU side, selling season tickets, having to pitch what's already a weak product by the Big 12 schedule year in and year out. But you're also having to tell people, you know, we we you named the stats um, earlier, Adam. I mean, the fact that you can go ahead and bank on a high percentage of these games being early morning kickoffs, it makes it hard to sell season tickets, and it makes it hard for fans to want to get out of bed and go up there and do that, especially when there's already so many other opportunities, so many different streaming services that give you uh, a more ideal way to, to watch the game. Yeah, all valid points, uh, but Fox doesn't care about any of that. Um, and unfortunately, that's kind of the way it goes. And I don't know if you put Josie under a true serum, if you said you have to give up TV revenue to stop making these at 11 o'clock, would you do it? I don't think you would. That's that's a huge chunk of revenue coming to the athletic department and the university. So we can you know complain about it as much as we want, but guys, it's, it's not changing. So you might as well just get used to it, suck it up. If you want to be at the games, be at the games. If you want to watch on TV, watch on TV. Um, so this is just kind of what it's going to be for a very long time. Oh, I'll be there. Trust me. We all will. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. There's not much you can do about it. So, uh, well, we'll wrap up here with the uh, rest of the teams in the conference and, uh, and finish things out for the, the evening. Uh, next up, uh, is Oklahoma state. Uh, they have a non-conference slate of Missouri state, Tulsa at home and then at Boise State, and they have an over/under of seven and a half. Corbin, I, I think we all look at Oklahoma State and think they're going to take a little bit of a step back, but are they going to be under that seven and a half? Not in my opinion. I think nine wins is uh, achievable for the Cowboys. Um, strange as it may say, the swing game there may be the Boise State game. Um, I don't really know how good Boise State's going to be. I really don't know how good Oklahoma State's going to be. Um, but that's an interesting one. Uh, and as far as just kind of non-conference uh, toughness, I've got it at a 6-8. I think it's a, a pretty decent non-conference slate. Uh, I don't think Boise's who they used to be, but it's at least a big enough brand name at this point where it's going to give you some credit if you can go up to, uh, to Idaho and win. This one is extremely tough for me because I think that this is a 7-5 and five or an 8-4 and four football team. And the swing game for me in this scenario – you got to go to the non-conference slate. You've got to go up to Boise, Idaho. I think that that's a that's going to be a really tough game. I think it's on a I, I nope Saturday. I think that you're looking at a potential trap game right there. Obviously, before Kansas State start Big Twelve play, um, I think that OSU goes two and one in that scenario. I think that they lose that game to Boise State. Then looking at the rest of the schedule for for conference play, I think that it's you know it's extremely possible that they're going to lose three to four games. Uh, in Big 12 play. So I'm going to take the under on this. I've got him going seven and five, but I don't feel too good about it. This one's super tough. I mean, they've got a, a really tough schedule even beyond the non-conference. I think I'd rate this as a seven on the tough meter for me uh, at Boise State, at Texas, at Iowa State, at West Virginia, and then OU at home. I mean, that's potentially five losses right there. Um, man, seven wins for an Oklahoma State team. Credit to them for building up their program, but seven wins for them in a year is, is a little bit on the low side. Um, they do lose quite a bit of skill talent. You've got Spencer Sanders there, one of the worst Big 12 quarterbacks out there. Uh, I am going to take the under uh, on that one. So, think, think about the Pokeses, though, is they always do the opposite of what the expectations are laid out. <laughs> That's the other thing I, I wanted to be like, should I just go reverse psychology here or, or, or what? Anytime there are expectations for that group, they don't quite meet them. And then the time yeah. they can lay low and they can have an OU with Texas and Iowa State kind of take the lead of the spotlight conference, that's when they're better. So I actually feel pretty good about taking that uh, that over seven and a half. Who's the quarterback going to be? Well, he's going to be top five in the conference. I can tell you that much right now. <laughs> yeah, they're going to have to be if they're going to go with the over there. So Either, either uh, one of them. <laughs> for sure. TCU is next on our list. They've got Duquesne which I didn't realize had an FCS football team. And that was a pretty long journey for an FCS team to travel from Pennsylvania out to Texas. Uh, then they've got Cal and SMU. Entire non-conference slate at home, their over-under is seven. Um, honestly, TCU was the one that I did not look at. Um, but just one off the top of my head, um, I, how do you say the, the first one, Adam? Duquesne. 
Duquesne. Um, I didn't even know they had a football team, so that's an automatic win. Cal's, the fact that it's at home, I don't know too much about Cal, but I think the TCU's talent level should be able to put them over the top on that. I pray to God that we don't lose to a Pac-12 school in the non-conference play. SMU's kind of a tricky one, though. I mean, you look at some of the athletes that, that they've got, they took tremendous advantage of the transfer portal. Uh, maybe that's you know Tanner Mordecai. That could be his first game um, against a Big 12 team. Texas is a loss. Um, at Tech, Oklahoma. I don't feel too good about it, but I think that there's too many there's too many away games at the at the premier teams in this conference. So on this one, I think that this is a push. But if I had to pick it, give me the under. Yeah, I've got the under as well. I think TCU could absolutely lose to Cal and SMU. I think both of those games um, could go either way. If I'm if I'm betting money, I'm probably taking SMU. Um, because I agree with you, Tyler, they feasted in the transfer portal. Um, and so, yeah, I'm taking the, uh, the under seven, I think six is where they land. And I actually don't think for, for a TCU, I don't think that non-conference schedule is bad at all. Um, so I gave it a, uh, 6.5, one of the higher ratings so far for, um, for the non-conference there. Now, Corbin, much like you said about Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy, very similar thing with Gary Patterson. Expectations are extremely low. Um, I could see this being, you know, this could either be like a 9-3 and three type year or a 6-6. Six and six. It all depends on what they get out of the quarterback position. The defense is going to be good again. So if Max Duggan or Chandler Morris, if they're able to take a step forward and, you know, uh, be an impact player at the quarterback position, you know, you could see an 8-9-1 team down there in Fort Worth. This is tough for me because I can't decide if Gary Patterson is washed and past his prime or he's over. It's over. Or if this team is going to kind of rise up unexpectedly, like we've seen those TCU teams have passed. I actually think this is a super easy non conference schedule. I would give it a three. Um, Cal does return Ooh. Chase Garbers. Yeah. Cal, Cal's got some okay talent, but I, I like what Justin Wilcox is doing with the Golden Bears, but I don't think that they have the skill talent to keep up with TCU. SMU, uh, I know that they've done well in the portal, but I've also seen Tanner Mordecai uh, pretty much every snap he's ever played at OU. Um, so that doesn't make me too nervous. Um, yes, they're winning in the portal, but there's still a lot of G5 talent on that roster. So I think TCU can go undefeated there. Uh, I really want to take the under, but I don't feel confident enough with that. Um, I'm right there with you, Tyler. I think it's a push, so I'm going to go with the over on that one. I don't know if the if Vegas has released the odds for that matchup game, but I would be shocked if SMU-TCU is more than a six- to seven-point game. I think you're probably right, but I just like the fact that um, TCU has a little bit more continuity with their skill positions uh, versus SMU, which is replacing quite a few guys. And you guys know I like Max Duggan. Max Duggan, yep. <laughs> Uh, well, a team that Max Duggan just beat last year is Texas. They're the only team in the Big 12 that is not playing an FCS team. Uh, their non-conference slate is pretty tough, though. It's Louisiana. We talked about them quite a bit at Arkansas in Week 2. And then uh, the Cream Puff, Rice at home to wrap up the non-conference schedule. Their over-under is at eight wins. Tyler, how much do you hate Texas? I hate them a lot, um, year in and year out. This, honestly... This might be the hardest non-conference schedule in college football. Um, the, the fact that Steve Sarkeesian, if you were the fact that he's going to have to open up against Louisiana, a team that I, I pretty much expect them to push Texas and give them everything that they can handle in that first game. Um, they're extremely lucky that that game's in Austin. Then you got to go on the road to Arkansas. I mean, year two um, of I can't remember the the big guy's name, Sam Pittman, um, down in Arkansas. That's a tough one. Rice is going to be a pushover, but. Back-to-back opening games for Steve Sarkeesian against Louisiana and in Fayetteville against Arkansas. I'm giving that like an 8.2, 8.3 on the on the difficulty scale. So um, Texas hasn't Texas has not gone gone unscathed in non-conference play. I think it's in six years. So we'll see if they can get over the hurdle with that. But no, I, I think that they're they're dropping at least one of those first two games, and then looking into to Big Twelve play, I. They've got some challenging games. I mean, on the road uh, against Iowa State, on the road against West Virginia. West Virginia's given them some fits over the past few years, especially in Morgantown. Um, eight wins. I think that that's the number. I think I, so. I would either go a push 
or I might take the over on that simply because from a talent standpoint, the coaching staff, if they get the quarterback up to speed and get him playing extremely well after the OU game, I think that they could go on a run and you might be looking at an 8-4, 9-3 type team. I don't feel good about it, though. I'm taking the over. I think it's actually, uh, as strange as it sounds, maybe a blessing in disguise that they're facing Louisiana and then at Arkansas early in a first year. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian led Texas team. Uh, I don't know if either one of those teams will know what to expect from the Texas side of the ball. Um, so I think that actually is kind of a blessing in disguise in a weird way. We'll see if it plays out that way or not, if you're just going to see a lot of rust and confusement uh, like we saw from their spring game. Uh, but I'm taking the over. I do think this is the toughest non-conference schedule in the Big 12, and I'm right there with you, Tyler. I put it at an 8.1. Uh, so over an 8.1 as far as strength schedule for me. I think 8 is a good number for the non-conference strength. It's going to be tough, um, and I'm not sure if Texas will get a new coach type of boost necessarily because I think there will be a lot of changes in year one. Um, and despite both their quarterbacks already being better than Spencer Sanders without having hardly played at all, I think that they don't really have an answer. I think that they don't really have an answer at quarterback. So um, I think they'll get to eight wins. I I would like to push that, but since I can't do that, I'm going to go with the under. I think they'll get to the eighth win in a bowl game perhaps. Uh, so uh, give me the under on Texas, uh, which brings us to Texas Tech. They have one of the lower over-unders in the conference at four and a half, and they've got a pretty – pretty feasible non-conference schedule. They open with Houston uh, down in Houston at the uh, energy stadium. Then they come back home for Stephen F. Austin and Florida international Corbin. This is pretty soft. It is soft. Uh, and somehow I'm still taking the under. Um, I actually think they dropped the game uh, against Houston. I think they lose that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's Stephen F. Austin and FIU. Those are two that should be easy wins, and I think they probably get two more somewhere in conference, um, Kansas being one of them. But, guys, I don't know where the other two games are coming from. So I think this is a four-win team, um, and I'm taking the under. And, yeah, non-conference schedule, not strong. But Houston's no pushover. OU fans know that. Um, and so I think they actually dropped the one to the Cougars, and that is the swing game for me. So non-conference schedule there, probably about a 4.1 on, on my scale. I couldn't have said it any better myself. I have a hard time finding five wins for this team on this schedule, so which is kind of kind of concerning, especially the fact that you know those three those three non conference games should be a, should be three and zero for a team like Texas Tech, a Division one program. But I think Houston's going to be just as talented, and I trust Dana Holgerson more than I trust Matt Wells. I think the Texas Tech will be looking for a, a new head coach after this year, but I'm going to take the under on this as well, and. I mean, they've they've got some tough games. I mean, at uh, at Texas, at Oklahoma, um, at Oklahoma State, Ames, Iowa at home. But I don't know. Uh, it's going to be tough. I'm going to go the other way on this one. I'm going to take the over. Matt Wells is coaching for his job, so I think he'll get the most out of his guys. And I also think this is the easiest non-conference schedule in the entire conference. Houston, I'm not a big fan of what Dana Holgerson has done there so far. Stephen F. Austin, easy win. FIU went 0-5 in their limited games last year. So they should be able to win all three of those games, beat Kansas, and then just find one more random upset somewhere. Uh, so I, I'm I'm trusting in Matt Wells. I'm trusting in Tyler Shuck coming in from Oregon and elevating the quarterback play, which is something that Texas Tech has not had. I'm putting a lot of faith in him because we didn't get a huge sample size of him at Oregon last year. And in some people's minds, he lost out on the quarterback battle at Oregon, but he still should be good enough to do some damage at Texas Tech. Uh, which which brings us to the last team in the conference, the last one of the evening, West Virginia. I've called them the mystery team because we didn't get to play them last year. They have an over-under at six and a half wins. Their non-conference slate is at Maryland, home against Long Island University, and then Virginia Tech at home. Tyler, is this... Is this kind of a fake tough schedule or is it actually tough? I had this, I had West Virginia as the second highest ranked team in my non conference difficulty schedule at Maryland. Um, and then Long Island University, that's a win. But then Virginia Tech, I mean, they're, um, Justin Fuentes had some, tr had some trouble over the past couple of years, but that's still a tough game. Still some really good athletes out on the field for the Hokies. Um, I think that that's a two and one best case scenario 
for for that team. So, and then the fact that you're asking me for them to win five more games in Big Twelve play to to reach the over and clear that magic number of six and a half. So, I don't know if I feel too good about it, but I'm going to take the under on this one. I think that this is probably a six one team, and like I said. I think that once you get past those top three, top four teams, I think everybody's going to be beating up on each other, and it's going to be super hard to predict as the as the season goes on. But just looking at it right now on May 27th, um, I'm going to take the under on this. Yeah, I think as far as name recognition-wise, great non-conference schedule. Um, but let's not pretend that Maryland or Virginia Tech have been powers in their conference any time in the, in the, recent, uh, in the recent past. I think they'll be challenging games. Um, but I also I don't think West Virginia is necessarily that much better than either one of those teams. So I'm going under on the 6.5. I agree with you, Tyler. They at least drop one between Maryland and Virginia Tech. And then again, looking at the rest of the schedule, can I find four other wins? And I just don't see it. Um, so I think the number probably is five or six uh, as far as schedule difficulty in the non-conference. Uh it looks better than it is. And so I got that down at about a 6.4. We all agreed on the over under on Oklahoma. And now we're all going to agree on the over under on West Virginia. I'm also taking the under, I want to believe in West Virginia. I like some of the pieces they have, but, and I agree with what you're saying there, Corbin, these are some name teams on their non-conference schedule, but um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're good teams. And it also doesn't necessarily mean that because they're not good name teams that West Virginia can actually beat them either because West Virginia hasn't necessarily been that power type of program in the Big 12. I, I just have no idea what to think for, of West Virginia. I could see them meeting OU in the Big 12 championship game. I could also see them falling below Texas Tech for the ninth spot in the Big 12. So given that this is at least they're playing two power five teams in the non-conference slate, I think I'm going to have to take the under on that and all the travel and, and the way that we've seen West Virginia fall apart as the year has gone on uh, with all those uh, long distances that they have to cover. I, I think the under is is a somewhat of a safe bet here. Although I like Neil Brown, I hope, hope that they're successful because I think West Virginia being good is good for the Big 12. Adam, quick note on basketball before we get out of here. OU Board of Regents meeting is in progress right now. Ryan Aber from the Oklahoma just tweeted this out. Curious to get your guys' thoughts on this. Porter Mosier, six-year deal starting at $2.8 million, includes a $400,000 stay bonus uh, April first, 2022. Uh, and then women's basketball, uh, Jenny, five years, 625000 That's almost half of what they were paying Cherry Cole. That's a long contract for Porter Moser. Six years. What what was Lon at? Was he at three? I think Lon was at like three five. I want to say three three one. So I bet it's somewhere right in there. Okay, but I I I don't know. I mean, six years. That's that might have been one of the things in the negotiation process that Porter, you know, was saying like, you know, this is going to be a rebuild type thing. Give me an ample amount of time to come in and you know build it how I want to. But um, six years is good. Two point eight is good, and. 625000 for the women's basketball coach. I like it. I think you're going to get better results with half the money. Yeah. Yeah. Six years seems seems really long for Moser. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about him. I'm pumped about him right now, but um, I really want that to turn into some success on the court for sure. One scholarship why, left. Why, why that's that surprising? Because, like, even if it wasn't a contract, Joe is known to give coaches an ample amount of time to get yeah. the positive results that he, he he's looking for. So whether it's in the contract or not, I wouldn't have expected Porter to be here any shorter than that. That's fair. That's a good point. Do you uh, think Porter sees this as a building block type job where build this program back up, have a, you know, maybe have a sweet 16 elite eight run, use this as an opportunity to, you know, maybe take a higher, higher job within college basketball. Or do you think he's the, he could be the type of coach that wants to stay here for, you know, five to 10 years. How old is he? He's in his mid-50s, I think. Could be um, either. I mean, could yeah. be either at, at, at that age range. 52. There's a lot fewer elite jobs in college basketball, in my opinion, and a lot more middle-tier middle jobs. So I don't think he's going to get a Duke or a Kentucky or a Kansas or UCLA. So after that point, is like, is Illinois that much better of a program that he'd be willing to go back in that area? Or is Wisconsin that much better? I I don't know. I feel like OU's not too far off of some of those programs. So 
I would say both of those programs are better than OU basketball. Right? Yeah. But, but significantly better that you would change yes. your location for? I'd see Illinois, maybe not a Wisconsin. I think that the product on the court for both of those teams is better than what OU puts out, but also the external factors, the support from the fans, the passion of the fan base, how much, you know, you know, put blood, sweat, and tears they pour into those basketball programs. Um, that, that would go a long way for me. If I'm, if I'm Porter, am I in the Indiana job in a few years? That that would make a lot of sense, or maybe yeah. the Illinois job when Brad Underwood, you know, gets uh, gets in trouble with the NCAA. It's only <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, well, that's a good point to wrap things up for the evening. So appreciate everyone listening. Go ahead and find us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod One. Give us a follow. Interact with us there, and we will see everyone again next.